0: Get ready! Get ready! Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Cause you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, the Chris Voss Show.com. I'm just like Beyonce, only less talented, or not talented, or not. Just I should probably just give up and stick to my day job. But that's what we're here for, folks, the Chris Voss Show. Welcome, one and all, family and friends, women and children of all ages. Welcome to the Chris Voss Show podcast. As always, we couldn't do it without you. You know, the Chris Voss Show is a big family. And the one thing about a family is we we uh, kind of all live in the same home. And so the Chris Voss podcast is like a giant home of people that love you but don't judge you. So it's like living without your mother-in-law. So there you go. <laughs> uh but the great thing about it is you can sit on your couch and you can listen to the show and you can go holy crap and you can welcome in all these amazing brilliant minds and none of them are me you can welcome in billionaires ceos the hottest new authors that are coming simon schuster penguin random house all the great uh publishers uh, auto book with us entrepreneurs newsmakers People from you know, journalists, Pulitzer Prize winners, and you can sit there right wherever you are and be in your home with the Chris Foss show. Doesn't that feel warm? Like a little chimney fire going in the corner there? Because if it doesn't well, you should probably further show your family, friends, and relatives, and all will feel more like that. Go to goodreads.com, for chess, Chris LinkedIn.com, for chess, Chris YouTube.com, for chess, Chris Foss, and Chris Foss one. And why aren't you more impressed whenever I do the improv uh, ramble at the beginning? Uh, you should be. And uh, do a five star review on that. Over on night, tooth if you would too. Uh, you know, years ago, uh, I had a, someone that I was very much in love with and, uh, she struggled with alcoholism and I didn't know what alcoholism was at the time or addiction was at the time. And so it was very hard for me to understand it. And it was kind of a part-time thing. Um, there were choices that I had to make in the relationship. The, at one point we were engaged to be married and, uh, that had to be called off. There was lots of struggle to get her to stop drinking and, and deal with her thing. And in the end, uh, we broke up and then a few years later, she unfortunately passed away from her alcohol addiction. So uh, addiction, uh, alcohol, abuse, trauma, childhood stuff, all this stuff. We're going to be talking that today and educate yourself on what I didn't know when I was going through these things. And maybe if you know somebody who's out there who needs help, we can give you some advice and give you some resources and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, today, we have Steve Feldman. He's the CEO of Feinberg Consulting. And uh, we're going to be talking about some of the services they offer, how to look for addiction, how to understand it, how to, you know, know if you need help or maybe someone you love needs help and maybe some things to empower you to know what to do because when i came across it i had no idea what to do uh steve feldman's journey uh, to recovery from addiction began in 1992 and has become a foundation of his life and work he is trained interventionist. uh interventionalist and CEO of Feinberg Consulting, a company that helps families manage addiction, mental health, and family health care crises. Uh, his reason uh, for being is to help those in crisis get the right kind of help fast and make it stick. Uh, Steve also looks forward to sharing stories and new perspectives about navigating through crisis. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. There you go. Uh, give us the dot com. So where do you want people to look you guys up in the Internet for more information?
1: So the... Uh uh, website for our company is uh, FeinbergCare.com. There you go. And give us a 30,000 overview. Uh, what do you guys do there? So our company was established in 1996. Uh, my partner, Pam Feinberg, who was a nurse, created a company that was uh, really designed and in place to help people who had been catastrophically injured, a lot of traumatic brain injury, spinal cord injury, and wow. really complicated medical uh Conditions And case management is really a, uh, best described as care coordination and patient and family advocacy. Mm-hmm. And over the years, that uh, expanded into working with people in the behavioral health field, uh, mental health, substance use addiction, other types of addiction as well. And we really are guides, navigators that help people through some of the most challenging times of, of their life or a family member's life. There you go. So,
0: give us a give us your hero's journey. What got you into this realm? Uh, tell us, uh, you know, kind of your upbringing, uh, your journey, and uh, why you love working in this field.
1: So, um, there's really a parallel path, mm-hmm. and the parallel path is that um, my career, my business life, has been uh, uh, in a path of working in a lot of different businesses. All in which was about providing a service that helped people. Like I've mm-hmm. always been somebody who has has uh, been interested in others and been interested in helping. And um, uh, on a personal basis, I uh, struggled with substance use addiction mm-hmm. and uh, uh, really anything if it could help me avoid numb or not deal with something, I could become addicted to it. Wow. And, and what brought me to my knees really was in, uh, in 1992, Mm -hmm. uh, I got sober from drugs and alcohol and, and, uh, been fortunate to be on a path of recovery that hasn't been a straight line since Mm -hmm. then, but I've been sober from drugs and alcohol for, I'm 62 and just passed my 31st, uh, clean day, you know, 31st anniversary of being clean Wow! and, uh, I can Congratulations. More than half my life has been that. There you
0: go. Congratulations. Yeah. Would you be 62 if you hadn't gone down this path? Most likely
1: not. Wow. That's Most not.
0: That's it's it's great that you survived that. I have friends that deal with addiction and and every day it's one day at a time, and they, they'll post their coins on uh, Facebook and, 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 you know, talk about what they're going through, and, you know, everyone supports them because, you know, it's, it's hard, especially, you know, people that are, you know, heavily addicted to something, and chemically, their brain's wired to, to be an addiction personality. Let me ask you this. Is it true that there are certain people that have a predilection to addiction more than others? Maybe it's genetics. Maybe it's character traits, things like that.
1: Yeah, the answer is yes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there is both uh, genetic and environmental issues that that Mm -hmm. play into somebody's, uh, where somebody lands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, once somebody passes that threshold of using in a way that is uh, alcoholically, or, Mm -hmm. you know, abusing drugs into a into a place that it has turned into addiction, there's really no, no, no turning back.
0: There you go. And I've, I've seen, like I cited my ex-girlfriend, uh, she was a wonderful gal when she was sober. When she was sober, she was just an angel. She was worth marrying. And I I would see a physiological change, a physical change to her face and body. When she would strike alcohol, it could be a shot of Vicks. Like it just took like that little thing. And she would be, she would go, it was Dr. It probably would, Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Dr. Hyde Jekyll, Mr. was, was, was uh, formatted on because she would go from being the nicest person to just being the meanest. She was just one of those mean drunks. Like, not fun, you know, mean. Like, and, and her face would contort. You would almost have a different person. And so it was kind of interesting to see uh, how that worked in, in some sort of addiction formative sense.
1: Listen, you bring up something that is 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 really powerful because one way to look at this is that the person that you described that was so important to you, that Mm -hmm. you cared for, that you loved, that you wanted to be close with
2: Mm -hmm.
1: was the authentic person that that she was. Yeah. And that the addiction or alcoholism really hijacked her. Mm -hmm. And the brain actually goes through a change that the decisions that are made. The things that are said, the the you know, the behaviors are not the person that you really knew. Wow. Now it doesn't excuse those behaviors because everybody's responsible for what they do, mm-hmm. but it certainly explains it because there is a there is a really a hostage that is taken by the disease. There you go. so you talk
0: about uh, in the transactional nature of medicine these days. Uh, what do you see in that and and how does how do you guys maybe do things differently?
1: So you know, you bring up a really great point, and the system, in many cases, is set up in a way that there are different people who have uh, different specialties that have a particular thing that they work on and they go from A to B, but they don't mm-hmm. go from B to C. Oh. And and it's very transactional in nature. And what I mean by transactional in nature is if you're going to the doctor, you fill out a bunch of forms, you sign in, they call you back and you see the doctor and then you leave and you maybe get given uh, a, uh, a list of follow-up and things that are needed and it's up to you to manage it. Mm -hmm. And then you may see another provider for another issue, and it's also transactional. What we really believe in is that, especially with complex situations in the mental health world that maybe are co-occurring with with medical issues or or co-occurring in mental health with addiction, that transactional relationships aren't enough, that it's really relational, and relational means getting with somebody to look at the big picture,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and being alongside in a way that helps navigate through some of the most difficult and challenging things that somebody's facing.
0: There you go. And you guys also deal with behavioral or process addiction.
1: What is, what is that exactly? So a process addiction could be something that isn't dependent upon a substance. Mm-hmm. But more of a behavior. So a process addiction could be like gambling. It could huh. be shopping. <laughs> it could be sex.
0: Yeah. Right? I laugh a little bit. I probably shouldn't laugh because I, I've lived in Vegas for 20 years. So I know what gambling addiction looks like. And it's pretty ugly. Um, and it's pretty rampant there, too. Uh, so I know how how I know how prevalent that can be. Um, and then you guys do mental health disorder. Uh, so you guys have probably a room for me somewhere in over there.
1: Listen, we all, we all have some level of challenges with, with mental health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been prevalent for a long time. The things that took place during the pandemic uh, oh. only exacerbated it, uh, increased so much anxiety, uh, increased so, ma- so many people that were isolated, that were alone on their own island, that became depressed. Mm-hmm. And um, and then there were behaviors as a result of that discomfort that didn't help things. And, um, you know, we face often co-occurring disorders. So it's not just somebody has an issue with alcohol. Mm-hmm. It could be alcohol and anxiety, and it could be that the alcohol is used to numb, to comfort the anxiety. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But that use of alcohol then becomes something that creates other unintended consequences. Yeah. And I, I know
0: a lot of people that I've seen that have addiction issues, you know, if, they, if they're if they into one thing, they can easily switch to another thing or they can be doing multiple things at once, you know, like they have an alcohol problem and a gambling addiction, or if they try and quit one, they'll move to some sort of other addiction and they just have that locked in their personality. And you're like, well, we got them to stop drinking and then it switches to it can even be like food or something
1: like that yeah completely listen it's, some people have talked about it's like whack-a-mole yeah and recovery the path of recovery from uh from addiction is different than the path of stopping a behavior mm-hmm. stopping a behavior is very similar to being able to you know we, we talked about people who quit smoking they did it white knuckle and white knuckle doesn't deal with the, the the reason why I was smoking in the first place. Mm-hmm. It just has me stop a behavior. It doesn't get filled up with something else. Ah. And, and recovery and recovering is where there is actual change and transformation that happens mm-hmm. rather than just stopping something.
0: Yeah. Because you've got to dig down to the source, right? And either root it out or uh, apply some sort of, uh, like what you mentioned earlier, some sort of healing or some sort of recovery aspects to it.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's exactly it. And it, so it is a process. It's not an event. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody gets to the point where there are consequences as a result of their behaviors or use, mm-hmm. there's no quick fix. There you go. And, and addiction is about instant gratification. Mm-hmm. And recovery is about something that is a process that takes place a little bit at a time.
0: And I think a lot of people are trying to either hide traumas or they're trying to hide feelings or issues that they have. Um, and when, maybe when we look at people, because I know I was challenged by this, you know, you, you think, well, the alcohol is the problem. And, and, and in trying to understand them, you realize that there's something deeper that's unresolved, that's unfixed. And, and, and it's easy to get distracted by, you know, well, if we could just get them to stop drinking alcohol. It really comes down to, like you say, the deeper thing to that. Um, I had heard a statistic once that many people that suffer from drug addiction that go into rehab have sexual trial childhood trauma or have some sort of childhood trauma. We've talked about that a lot on the show with a lot of doctors that have been on the show. Is that true?
1: Yeah. So that's a, if we use if we take trauma, mm-hmm. there is the kind of trauma that you just talked about, sexual trauma or the you know, witnessing war and, and death, PTSD, power accident, right? Though Mm. though, that's complex, uh, that's complex trauma. Mm -hmm. But if we also look through a bigger lens, um, there is also developmental trauma and developmental trauma Mm. in a way can be described as something that is something less than a nurturing experience. Oh, wow. And, and as a coping mechanism, in many cases, Substances or behaviors are sought out. Wow. So if you think about it, if you take away the substance or behavior, but you don't treat the underlying uh, uh, cause or situation, what ends up happening is you could leave somebody in a really, really difficult place, really mm-hmm. painful and uncomfortable place. And I really believe one of the reasons why there is, in many cases, a high recurrence of use. When somebody has all the consequences in the world to stop, they mm-hmm. stop, but the underlying cause is not being addressed and is not being healed, mm-hmm. and it just becomes re- recurrence after recurrence after recurrence, Yeah, which creates a lot of shame for people.
0: Mm-hmm. It's and very that- tough. Yeah. Do, do now, you guys? You mentioned you guys work with families and stuff, and I guess individuals as well. Uh, I no, I noticed on your website there's a thing about interventions. I used to watch that uh, show Intervention all the time, and it was always it's always kind of heart wrenching to watch it. Um, and you know, sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. Uh, tell us about how that works, and and uh, some of the services you can offer to family members. You know, I've I've known people that they're in out, they have to be in Al Anon for their, you know, try and help them. Deal with their person who's in AA.
1: Yeah, it's it's really important for us to talk about what this process of intervention is. Mm -hmm. When you say the word intervention, in many cases, what comes up is that TV show and is something that's very dramatic. Mm -hmm. But intervention, down to the simplest form, is really interruption. What we really need to do is kind of interrupt a path Mm -hmm. that isn't working. It may look like a surprise where the family is rehearsed and brought together and trained with a specific letter and ask where plans are made Mm -hmm. to help somebody um, say yes when otherwise they're uh, really going through destructive behavior and part of their life. Mm -hmm. But it could be as much as really helping the family get on the same page of what they're asking their loved one to do.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a way of. It just occurred to me. It's kind of a way of providing a bottom, without having them hit rock bottom. Maybe is that?
1: It's that's really great what you said because the it's talked about all the time that somebody has to hit bottom. Yeah, to want to change. Yeah. Well, if we want to use that, then we can say okay, but we want to raise the bottom. Yeah. Because if we, as a family, or somebody close to the person, of concern is in any way enabling or allowing the behavior or disease to continue, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: then, then the bottom is lower Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and the bottom in many cases can be death. It can be jail. It can be, uh, you know, hospitalization or or being institutionalized. Mm -hmm. And what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to create an environment around that person that, raises the bottom.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, enabling somebody is being able to provide things for them that allows the the addiction or behavior to continue. There you go. We want to help train families mm-hmm. to be the kind of environment that raises the bottom.
0: So you guys help train the family too, and and how to cope with it, how to deal with it, how to counteract maybe some of the sociopathic aspects or narcissists, or you know, I've seen the trips that people that, that you know they're very manipulative sometimes with addiction that they'll play on the family, you know, like like when I watched watch the show. So you help people kind of uh, get mastered on that.
1: Listen, a great way to talk about that is that the family really is the environment in which we want something to grow. Mm-hmm. so you know i'm in michigan if i want to grow a cactus no matter how bad i want that cactus <laughs> to grow cold wet weather is not going to have that happen
0: that's true you guys if we do want that. to get a
1: healthy family member to grow mm-hmm. and recover there's a certain environment that's needed and that environment is loving is compassionate is dignified is direct kind of courageous and And in many cases, when families come to us, there's anger and resentment and emotional outbursts and threats. That's not the environment to help somebody shift their behavior, their decisions. There you go. I like
0: the fam, family coaching part that you guys offer as a service because that makes sense because th- those are the people who are going to continue to interact with that person. Um, know, I remember my ex's mom was in Al Anon. She had to be in Al Anon for her father or her husband at the time. My ex's father and then for her daughter. Um, and you know, being a caregiver to these people, um, is can be a challenge. Uh, and uh, all that sort of good stuff. Do you guys uh, deal with holistic can you, can you sort of- Let me interrupt you and say sure. that
1: Please. Al-Anon is something that is such a positive uh, support group mm-hmm. for people to not only learn and get education, mm-hmm. but to, to lean on and get support and recognize they're not alone mm-hmm. because the, the, the disease of alcoholism or addiction wants to have people think that their situations are unique they're alone and they're different. And the opposite of addiction is really connection and community and Al-Anon is able to provide that. So that's a really, really valuable tool. Yeah, it's part of what in most cases gets recommended to family members. Any, any
0: sort of training that, cause like when I came across the I had no training. I had no idea. And it was hidden so well. Like I didn't know she was drinking. She, she had it hidden underneath the sink in the, in the detergents. And, and, and like I said, it was like, I couldn't figure out like, why does Friday, she go off the rails Friday to Monday and we're fighting and she's bitter and. Like, you know, and at first you just think, well, you know, I must have done something wrong as a as a dude. Um, so you guys deal with process addiction. This is kind of interesting. Uh, we should share out. There's exercise addiction. Boy, I don't have that problem. Uh, food addiction. <laughs> um, I might have that problem. Gambling addiction, porn addiction, sex and love addiction, uh, shopping addiction. I actually had one of my employees years ago that had a shopping addiction problem. And she was married with kids. And we started getting these... Um, wage garnishments that were coming into the office for her and we're like i mean she seemed like a you know i I don't know you can't really say well she didn't seem like a person had bad credit but i mean she had a family husband and kids and suddenly we started getting these things for these these uh, garnishments and i and and i went to her and i said you know we're getting these garnishments. we're gonna have to withhold this from your check and she was kind of upset she's like please don't tell my husband and I'm like what do you mean i mean you're married your husband you know i'm doesn't he know about this? Um, and she's like, No, he doesn't know. And she had a shopping addiction, and we were like getting like a lot of these, these bounce checks. I guess they were something credit cards maybe in default, and and that's what she had. Technology addiction, I think ninety uh, percent of the people have that now. Video game addiction, <coughs> that might be mine, uh, and work addiction. So there you go. That might also be mine so, too. You know,
1: I also want to make a distinction in all of this because. There is a there is a difference between abuse and addiction
2: mm-hmm.
1: right and abuse is something that has an impact that's getting in the way of something that in most cases can be recognized and said you know um, I, I'm spending too much time on my phone I want to back off and and um, and you make those changes mm-hmm that's abuse that's been intervened on by, hey, I, I'm committed to doing this. Mm-hmm. Addiction is I have that conversation or somebody has that conversation. I agree with it I, I, or I deny it or whatever the case may be, but I continue to do it. Yeah. And I continue to do it into a way that begins to impact and affect other things in my life.
0: There you go. Let me ask you this, because I had a argument with a friend once. Because I, there was a point in my life where I was drinking uh, half a bottle of vodka about every night or every other night, and I was never, I, in my mind, I was never addicted to it. Now let you correct me uh, here, um, but my friend, I would just do it. And but if I ran out of vodka, I wouldn't get the jones. I wouldn't shake. I wouldn't lose my mind in fact half the time i'd just be lazy and go oh, i'll just get some more tomorrow night or whatever and just did, didn't care um but i abused it pretty heavy for a good 10 20 years um and i'm a big guy so i can consume i i was even bigger then so i could consume a lot of alcohol and i have a high i have a high um what would you call it resistance to drugs like the a lot of drugs are just candy. I'm just like, this does nothing for me. But booze was uh, my one little agent. But, you know, my friend said to me one time, cause he had a smoking addiction when he would not smoke, he would Jones, like he would start shaking and start losing his shit. And I'm like, you know, I think you have an addiction. I just have abuse and I know what I'm doing. I'm abusing this. Uh, are those two really different things or is it still really, it's a form of addiction because I'm there is a line, yeah. there is a line
1: and there is a screening Mm-hmm. That, you know, that somebody would go through to be able to really um, get a diagnosis of if it is a true disorder mm-hmm. or if it is abuse. Yeah. And it's not the exact same for everybody. Okay. Um, there you go. You know, what, what happens is um, in many cases, it's not the same for mm-hmm. two people. Right. Somebody that was drinking the same way that you did for the period of time that you did could certainly have and create a physical dependence. Yeah. And If they didn't have it, start to shake and start to, you know, potentially even have uh, the, the possibility of having a seizure or other medical complications. Mm-hmm. And it is a, you know, at, at the center, it's a pretty fine line.
0: Mm hmm. It it's uh and it was interesting. I was I, I used to drink like 10 to 15 Mountain Dews a day. One day I just quit. I just said enough. I just can't take the abuse of my body anymore. And alcohol was the same way. Alcohol was kind of a wind down. Once I hit my 50s, my body was like, Yeah, if you want to keep doing this, um, we're just gonna make it really painful and give you just horrendous hangovers. And after a while, you're just like, I don't want to do this. It's just not it's just not worth it. And uh and so I eventually quit and moved on. But
1: you know and that, listen, man, you're you're talking about the difference between abuse and addiction. Mm-hmm. I could have never had that conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, actually I could have the conversation, but I could never follow through. There you because go. As soon as it was coming out of my mouth, I was thinking about how I could hide it, figure it out for the next day, mm-hmm. somehow get around what I said and s- some way manipulate into some kind of behavior that got what i wanted there was a in addiction there's a big demand to mm-hmm. do whatever it is that's necessary to keep that addiction going
0: there you go you tell yourself a lot of you know lies and and you there's always uh what do they call it it's like reasoning or they call it rationalization. rationalization there you go you're like well you know if that's out that of the other well today you know and stuff like that. So what, what have we talked about on services that you guys provide and, and how you help integrate um, not only, you know, a family and or an individual who's out there going, oh, I'm listening to this, and I think I probably should ask somebody if I need help.
1: Yeah. the The service that we provide that kind of wraps around everything that we do mm-hmm. is when people come to us, and mostly people come to us that are concerned about a family member,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: you know, periodically we get somebody that is concerned about themselves and want to make ready to make changes. What we want to do is first gather information and get a real, full, thorough assessment of not just the person of concern but the whole family. You know, you talked about trauma before. It's really looking generationally, looking f- familia wise looking at it from a real holistic perspective to put together a picture of what the past has been. Mm -hmm. They get a clear understanding of where somebody is currently at so that we can work together real closely to come up with recommendations and a plan for how to move from where somebody is to where it is they wanna go. And those services include formal interventions, Mm -hmm. include coaching families on how to work with their loved one, include making recommendations for treatment facilities. Mm -hmm. We, we have, you know, we spend lots of time, effort, resources in getting to know the different levels of care, the different facilities from one end of the country to the, to the other. Mm -hmm. And then really being able to provide ongoing management consultation kind of direction, to help people have a light shined out in front of them to deal with things that we're not necessarily trained on how to do. Coordinating mm-hmm. providers, having a therapist and a psychiatrist be able to talk with each other and know, you know, really what's going on. Being able to help deal with legal issues. Be, like whatever the situation is that could increase stress or increase the, the fact that the plan could go offline. Mm-hmm. We're, we're there to help guide people through that.
0: There you go. And we've kind of talked this, touched on this a little bit before, but why is it more important that people uh, approach professionals like you, reach out for help uh, that way, as opposed to just uh, Googling symptoms or talking to a neighbor or friend and says, hey, you should probably, you know, I don't know, read a book on positivity or something.
1: <laughs> but, but it's a great point because we have, uh, we're in an age right now where the the greatest resource of all is, is, you know, a couple keystrokes away from getting information on the Internet. Yeah. And there is good information on the Internet about a lot of things and a lot of things even in this world, in, in this realm. The problem is there's also a ton of things that are not good. There's good not there's players in this in this uh, arena that are not good players. Yeah. There's a lot of money in, 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 this, uh, in the field of, of rehabilitation and treatment and treatment centers. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to navigate through what is the right fit, what is the right provider clinically, ethically, morally. And, and um, you know, I, I think that when we do something really meaningful in our life, it's best done with getting the guidance of somebody who's done it before, who's experienced.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, when it, when it comes time to do taxes, we go to a professional accountant. When it's time for any kind of legal issue, we'll take counsel with a, with a lawyer. Somebody comes up with a medical diagnosis that, that is, you know, pretty scary. They want to go talk to somebody who is acclaimed in this arena. This is no different.
0: There you go. Note to self: Quit talking about my mental health issues with my auto mechanic. All right, that's uh just had to make that note there. Um, so uh he's he 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 knows which ratchet to use to bang me upside the head, but that's hasn't been working very well, and uh, it's very painful too. Um, but we were going to try the shock treatment with the batteries, but I think I'll call a professional like you say. Uh, the one thing I noticed on you guys' website. <laughs> we do the comedy here. Uh, one thing I noticed on your website is uh, the seniors' uh, portion of services in aging. Talk to us about what you guys offer there.
1: You know the the type of service, uh, advocacy and coordination of care is the is the same. You know we work with seniors that come up with complex medical issues. Mm-hmm. Many cases, uh, as a uh, you know, there is substance use that is involved. Sometimes there's. Mental health challenges. Sometimes there's all of it, but being able to assess, come up with a plan, work with the family to help navigate through um, challenging times. If, with you know either somebody in the natural aging process or something that happens with an event that becomes some type of you know acute episode or crisis.
0: There you go. I know my sister's in a care center with MS and she's pretty much declining uh, rapidly Mm -hmm. and she's got dementia and other issues. And and, uh, I know a lot of our senior, you know, we have the largest baby boomer uh, group of folks that are going into retirement and, you know, they're going to be suffering uh, from all sorts of stuff. And I think I read somewhere that more people are starting to care personally for their loved ones as they age as opposed to just throwing them into a home, which I think is better, but it can be overwhelming, especially if you're a caregiver. It can be very draining and hard to be a caregiver as well.
1: Yeah. You know, providing care and, and having it be dignified for a loved one is is really super, super meaningful and important. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. the other thing is being able to collapse being a, a child, you know, an adult child of uh, of an aging parent and, and being a son or a daughter versus being a caregiver is is something that often uh, becomes, uh, the, you know, the breeding ground for burnout for a family member. And we find ourselves in many cases getting calls from burned out family members that yeah. are, you know, providing direct the only ones providing direct care for their for their parents
0: there you go and it it can burn you out it's it's hard you know you almost need counseling and preparation and you know time out i I see my mom going through that with my sister and and she you know a lot of these care centers need a lot of help especially now they're struggling to staff up and so uh there's that uh as we round out uh correct me if i'm wrong but I know one, one problem with people who have issues, uh, addictions, traumas, things of that nature is sometimes they feel incredibly alone and, and reaching out to professionals like you guys, asking for help, meeting other people that have, have like yourself that have had addiction and, and overcome it, it and could be a guiding hand. I, I think that's really important is to realize you're not alone and, and not feel isolated, but you have to reach out.
1: Do I have that right? you do and you know from a from a professional standpoint, the, some of the things that we hear about all the time is a client or a family member would say, listen, I wish I would have known about you sooner yeah um, I've tried so many things before and and nothing has ever worked and being able to reach out to a to a company that uh, has the experience, has that relational feel to it, and can help us navigate through has made just a huge difference.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In many cases, even before we decide, you know, somebody decides that they want to use our services by connecting and talking about what's going on, they start to feel relief already. Yeah. And, you you, you know, in short, connection is what helps people thrive, and mm-hmm. disconnection is what helps dysfunction, addiction, continue to grow. And and maybe some people, this is probably
0: something we should bring up for people is maybe sometimes they feel, you know, if they're a mother of a child who's addicted or a father, they feel some shame. They don't want people to know it's harder to reach out for help and say, Hey, I need help with my son or daughter, but you're really managing a tiger that you, you're not trained to deal with. And it, it really becomes time to call in the professionals. I think.
1: Yeah. You know, the whole stigma and shame piece is really challenging. Is mm-hmm. what we know about um, mental health diagnosis, conditions, and addiction, is that it's not a moral failing, it's not a weakness,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it needs professional help, mm-hmm. and it needs to be talked about. And you, you know, I can say for myself that that it is so important to be able to share a journey of. I mean, I'm somebody that was. Impacted significantly um, by substance use, I hurt my family. I caused all kinds of issues. I hurt myself, and um, and it wasn't until it was brought to light, until I opened up, and was you know really kind of put in a corner. I I didn't come willingly, but being able to share, disclose, be vulnerable, recognize that there's a need for help is actually Powerful,
0: definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you feel a whole lot more healthier. Uh, your life's more fulfilling. You, your, 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 your body probably thinks you as well. I've kind of learned at 55, my body's kind of like, yeah, well, I guess we'll keep you around uh, for a while now. Uh, and so that's really important. Uh, how, what do you think separates your uh, consulting service and in in, in in business? From other people in the same sort of fear? What are some tips or high t- points that you?
1: You know, think are the, the, the most obvious is that um, we have both a medical staff and a behavioral health staff, mm-hmm. and we're able to bring in medical consultation in really heavy behavioral health cases when there are medical issues. And also when we're dealing with complex medical, we can bring in a behavioral health staff. So really being able to look at it through the perspective and the lens of medical and behavioral health is something that sets us apart. And we're also the only behavioral health case management company in the country that is joint commission accredited. What does that mean? So joint commission is an organization that sets standards of best practices um, and, and is in the space for hospitals and rehab centers, and, and other providers of um, medical and behavioral health services. There you go. It's a, it's a gold seal. Now,
0: uh, give us your locations, and then uh, are there only certain areas that you cover, or do you cover the, the across the United States? No, great question. We're
1: Physically, we have a, our office in Michigan in West Bloomfield, which is right outside of Detroit, and we also have an office in Delray Beach, Florida, uh, in Palm Beach County. So we have staff in both of those places, and we also have staff in other parts of the country.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We do a tremendous amount of work remotely. We did that uh, virtually before, uh, before the pandemic, and as uh, virtual became something that was more available, accessible, and and doable for people, that even increased. So we work uh, nationally, and and also. We have resources and clients internationally. There you go. There you go. So, uh,
0: give us your final thoughts, a uh, final roundup on uh, what you guys do, how you do it, and uh, pitch to anybody out there who needs to get in touch with you.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the the place that our phone rings the most is when people are in some level of crisis. They've tried a whole bunch of things that haven't hasn't worked before. There's some willingness. Um, with somebody in the family that wants something to be different. Mm-hmm. And, and it could be a complex medical condition. It could be a mental health situation. It could be addiction. It could be a combination of all of those. The first step is to reach out, better to do it sooner than later. You know, for us, it's, it's really important and we're a mission driven company that wants to help people. If we're not able to help, we also want to be able to provide a value to point people in the right direction of, of the kind of resources that they may be able to contact directly.
0: There you go. Uh, well, Steve, it's been wonderful and insightful to have you on the show. Uh, thank you very much for coming on.
1: Uh, it's been my pleasure to be here, and thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you. Uh, and give us your .coms, where we want people to find you on the interims, please. So
1: www.feinbergcare.com. And our uh, telephone number is 877-538-5425.
0: There you go. And there'll be a link on the Chris Voss Show uh, blog as well. Uh, So thank you very much, Steve. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. We really appreciate you. One thing I would mention, don't wait until you get to the crisis point if you can. Try and get help early on when you see there's a problem because, you know, the, the bad times are usually going to come, and he, the sooner you can try and get help, uh, the better. That's my recommendation, and I'm not a professional. Uh, anyway, thanks for tuning in. Uh, be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time. And that should have.